Hi. Hello. I have had, like you, a very full summer of reading and watching telly, although probably more watching than reading stuff because there was quite a few books I started and abandoned, but I'll come to them later. What yeah. is your, um, what is your, how far do you persist before you abandon? Oh, one of them I did about a third, the other one I did about half. One of them you're going to be cross to know I abandoned. Good Material by Dolly Alderton. <gasps> I love that. I know. I just found it a bit of a downer. It's a breakup book about a dude whose girlfriend's dumped him and I just got kind of halfway into it. I really like Dolly Alderton but I just kind of felt like, yeah, I'm not finding this funny. I'm not finding it that entertaining. It's okay but I just want to read other stuff. Okay. Yeah. So do you think, I mean, I mean, given that you've been through a divorce and I haven't, is it like, is it a bit like, ugh, I've... It was the dude. Oh, it was the dude. <laughs> <laughs> I felt, well, as opposed I read, to I the divorce like the of yours, which is your fault. <laughs> I felt like the woman was entirely justified in, in dumping his ass and mm. he was just, I found, intensely irritating. And so I just didn't, I didn't want to immerse in his kind of world any longer. I was just done with him. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I actually found I, what I liked about it, I, just, I thought it was funny, but I also, the experience of, Hearing a male character self-examine, you know, the reasons why his relationship might have fallen apart, um, but you know that it's written by a woman. I found really interesting. I just you just don't see it very often, and I you yeah know. yeah no that didn't hold me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so while I'm on the stuff I didn't like over summer, I might as well go yeah. go to the others because anyway, they were all things like, I I really liked that book. So you know <laughs> they were all things I talked about that I was going to read. Um, the Year of the Locust by Terry Hayes, which I'd been hanging out for because I loved oh, I Am right. Pilgrim. I even reread I Am Pilgrim in the lead up to it. Oh, oh I love how you prep for reading. Oh, I just I, it was. I just couldn't get through it. It was it was hmm. just I found it to be a bit of a hot mess actually. So that was disappointing because wow. that was okay. top of my summer reading wish list or not top actually but up the top. The other one that was a bit of a letdown was um, I've been listening to a pod that I know you have as well called The Rest is Entertainment with oh, Maria yeah. Hyde and Richard Osman. Yeah. That just gets better and better. They're delightful. They're finding they their chemistry. Great. Really wonderful. Do you know they've done a couple of um, cooperative things with The Dollop, which is a bit interesting? Oh, have they? No. We listened to an app they did the other day where talking about um, the death of George Washington, who I did not know. You know, we went for a walk, got wet, then um, hosted a dinner party, got a bit of a chill, and then was seen to by a series of of terrible mm, underqualified doctors, quacks. each of whom like withdrew a pint of blood yeah. from him and then one of them covered him in beetles and then he died yeah. probably because of the medical care that he got. Terrible. Which has really set the scene for the American healthcare system ever since. <laughs> so that podcast, I'm always jotting down stuff yep. they're talking about because yep. things sound great. They recommended a book called Erotic Vagrancy by Roger Lewis. <gasps> Marina Hyde recommended it about Richard right. Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Yep. Mm-hmm. I unfortunately I felt like it assumed too much knowledge of their work oh. and I because they're kind of pre our era really I don't know I haven't watched all of their films and so I felt con- kind of like someone was talking about something I didn't really get oh. and so I abandoned that as well. So and the title wasn't... is about when they went to shoot Roman Holland? Uh, no, 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 no they didn't do no, Roman sorry, Holiday. They didn't. Oh, it sorry. was um, whatever Brain film fade. it was in Italy they, and the yeah. Pope because they were so amorous the Pope 
cracked it and put out a yep. papal statement to say this erotic vagrancy had to stop. They were shagging all <laughs> over Italy, basically, <laughs> and they were condemned for erotic vagrancy. Yeah, it was a bit, it oh. just uh, didn't, again, it just didn't kind of hold my interest. Um, but I'll tell you what did hold my interest, the final two books of the Thursday Murder Club series. <laughs> by what a surprise! The Bullet That Missed <laughs> and The Last Devil to Die. That series just got better and better. I absolutely adored it and they were fantastic holiday reads the second one that the second one that I read which is the fourth one in the series has the most incredibly moving discussion of dementia which from a book one they've established Elizabeth's husband Stephen has dementia oh, okay um and then the way that the book ended it ends with Joyce who's one of the characters she writes in a diary yeah. and she's writing in a diary and then the very last line of it was so touching and I was so it just felt like, how am I going to deal without these people in my life anymore? I literally just burst out crying. Like not even like a bit teary. I literally went <laughs> and just burst out crying on the spot. It was just, I loved them so much. You are so funny the way you, like you really do join the family when you're like I do. enjoying it. I get attached. Yeah. Um, so How were you with like my... Puff the Magic Dragon as a kid? <laughs> nah. I mean, I could never. No. Nah. Not Listen into that, that stuff. No. No, but just the loss of or the Velveteen Rabbit, anything about No, you know? I didn't none of those. I used to uh I mean Black Beauty I remember feeling pretty sad at the oh, end yeah. of when Matthew died in Anne of Green Gables, I was bereft. What he dies? I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> <laughs> um and there was a TV show called The Littlest Hobo. Did you get that in Adelaide? Yep. And yeah, so every Did we time get that I, in Adelaide? I used to think, you know, the dog I just can't you just stay with this nice family? Why have you got to hit the road again, buddy? He's always travelling. <laughs> Speaking of dogs, actually, that's a good segue. And it wasn't planned. Um, another book I read, Muster Dogs from Pups to Prose by <gasps> my old mate Lisa Miller. Far out that show. Now, uh, that TV show is very, very popular on the ABC, and Lisa has written a companion book. If you love that TV show, you're just going to adore this book. It's It's a very, it's like, it's so Lisa. It's so warm and friendly and it's all the backstories of how dogs are trained, people who live in the country. If, if you like mustard dogs, if you like regional Australia, if you like Lisa Miller, it's just completely up your alley. It is such gorgeous television and I think, I mean, you tune in, tune in for the pups like because the but what you actually are getting is the life stories of these the people. fascinating people. Yeah. And, you know, as a per as a as a country person, <laughs> uh, but like it's just not that often. Aside from like back roads and stuff, that you see people who are massively charismatic and interesting. Oh but you yeah, wouldn't, like necessarily ever see them on TV. Fantastic. Yeah. And with incredible skill sets, you know. And so the book goes through, so people from season one and season two, you get more backstories of the people who've participated in it. So that's great. While I'm talking about books written by a colleague, just another one to give a plug to, Richard Glover's got a new book out called Best Wishes, Making the World a Better, Less Annoying Place, One Wish at a Time. I've just absolutely adored oh, that okay. read. I've always, when he writes um, he's such a funny writer. He's so funny. He is so hilarious. And so many of the things that he wishes for, I go, yes, exactly. Um, and Richard also, he, so I do a weekly slot on radio every week with Richard mm. and it's, I find it really, really fun and yeah. we really make each other laugh and we give good banter. And um, he, he writes exactly in his voice, in his own voice. And so you feel like, I know this is such a kind of sad thought, but I was thinking, Whenever Richard pops his clogs, oh, I'm always going to have Richard's. Him off now? I'm always going to have Richard's company. He's very healthy <laughs> and not very old. Oh my 
Oh, also, he listens to this pod, so he's going to hear that and go, oh, thank you, Sales. I think you've got to bump him at least 10 up your friendship ladder. Like, he's what, currently sitting at, you know, he a thinks nervous he's at about 132. Yeah, I reckon you've got, to, you've got to crack the ton with that guy, given that you've just announced how much you'll miss him when he dies. And he's in that rude no, good what health. I, if we could be precise, wow. what I actually announced is that I won't miss him when he dies because his books are so clearly written in his voice that I'll always have his company. He'll be immortal. Richard Glover's going to be immortal. Two things about Richard Glover. Um, one is very tough childhood and yes. had some really genuinely traumatic, shocking things happen to him when he was a teenager and which he writes about in various of his books with a great honesty and straightforwardness and like including um, sexual assault, which, you know, you know, dude of his age is a hard thing to talk about, just talks about it so well, but somehow views the world with love despite all of he this stuff. He is the sunniest, most pleasant person to hang around with. And so even though this world, this book, I guess, is a series of complaints um, about the world and how, how it can be improved, they're just so massively entertaining and fun and he just he's just got the lightest touch. I just, yeah. Yeah, and, and when you listen to him on radio, and he's been doing that afternoon shift for I don't know how many years, a long 25, time. 25, I think. And the thing about him that makes him magical is... You can hear the joy in his voice when he gets, yep. you know, what must be the 300th phone call he's ever had from a person telling him about, you know, this was my favourite school teacher or like this happened to me when I was a kid or do you remember, you know, X, Y, Z snack from the 80s or whatever. And he's just so into listening to other people's stories yeah, that it's infectious. He's, and he's just, I think he's an inherently very decent person and that his decency comes through. This is, I mean, if you... Richard Glover's on Sydney radio, so apologies to everyone who doesn't live in um, Sydney. But he he is lovely. And if you want to get what we're talking about, if you read any of his books, yeah. they're just such delightful reads. Um, so I thoroughly enjoyed that too. Well, that's I, enough to – I mean, now you've essentially delivered Richard's eulogy. <laughs> you won't have to go to his funeral. So there's like time saved. Sorted, absolutely. We'll just bookmark this, play it, uh, you know, at whatever we, state we, funeral he receives. He, and- like me, likes to prepare for things and so he'll always – email me on the day Tuesdays when I go on and he'll say here's what I think we could talk about anyway one day when we used to do it on a Monday I said I set up a challenge and I said it's no prep Monday and so we said all right the challenge is because I think that kind of like me and you Richard and I can just like talk endlessly like we just keep finding Mm. things to talk about Mm. so I said, all right, let's put our money where our mouth is and actually just no prep Monday. Anyway, as soon as I walked in, Richard was like, I thought I might ask about it. I'm like, no, Richard, no, that's prepping. So, um, yeah, we did it. We talked for like half an hour without drawing you breath. pair um, of nerds. Now, I wanted to raise – it's not really a book, but I did want to raise this. While we were on a break over summer, Bill Granger died, the Sydney food Shocked. legend. Yeah. And I just wanted to pay tribute to him because I think – Nobody has taught me more about how to cook from scratch than Bill Granger and Stephanie Alexander through their cookbooks. Mm. And Bill Granger, when I first moved to Sydney, Bill's was, you know, yep. had, had started and, you know, the scrambled eggs and the avocado on toast and all right. of that. People would go mm-hmm. to Darlinghurst to get that. Um, but he's, his book, his first book that I had, which I think was his first book, was called Sydney Food. Yes. And, yeah. you know, I cooked something out of Sydney Food yesterday, actually, a buttermilk cake. Everything in Sydney Food is so easy 
It's the sunniest book. The photographs mm. are gorgeous. The recipes always work. None of them involve difficult ingredients. They are just tried and tested and uniformly delicious. And he made cooking accessible. It didn't feel too difficult, but you could cook from Bill Granger's books and, and deliver delicious food. And so then that was the gateway into more complicated cooking. Mm. And Stephanie Alexander as well with The Cook's Companion where everything's broken down. How do you boil a potato? Like everything's broken mm. down. Everything that you make if you follow the recipes in that book turns out really well. And I just I felt so sad when Bill Granger died because I just thought, my goodness, like he – I never met the man, <clears throat> but geez, he gave me a lot. Oh, that is a really great series of things to say. I will add one thing which is he also – as far as I think he was one of the early proponents of the big table where everybody, you know, just you can end up sitting next to people. And I reckon for Sydney, which is like a lot of the world's big cities, a place where you can get pretty lonely, like the capacity to break down barriers between people and mm. end up sitting next to someone that you actually get along with. Look, I know your face is just going, I would hate that. <laughs> But for us, Mrs. Have a Chat ladies, we find great people just by accidentally sitting next to them and, um, you know, I, I like that. He also, I think, around the world, like for Aussie expats yeah. because Bill's opened up in various places mm. around the world, that was a, like kind of a taste of home basically mm. that you go to. So, yeah, and he was very young. I was very, very sad um, to hear that. Mm. So I just wanted to mention what a, a huge, you know, someone that I never met, but I just feel like, wow, you did a lot for me, Bill Granger. Thank you oh, very much. Well said. Well said, man. And um, the secret of perfect scrambled eggs, of course, is just <laughs> more saturated fats. Absolutely. Yeah. Cream. <laughs> Whack it, it a bit of cream. Um, I'm reading at the moment. I haven't quite finished it yet. This is the only highbrow reading, really, that I've done all holidays. Um, it won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction last year, Trust, by I think it's pronounced Hernan Diaz. Yes, and I have got that and haven't read it yet. So what do you say? It's... Very clever, and it's definitely holding my interest. So it's set in an era Ooh, that lends lukewarm, mate. I mean, you know. no, no. It's set in an era that um, is a kind of fascinating era that lots of books have been written in, which is the kind of capitalist um, golden age of New York. So mm -hmm. kind of twenties, thirties, sort of you know, banking in New York. And it starts out. The first part of the book is a novel called Bonds, which has been written about. Um, a supposedly fictional couple. The dude is a, you know, sort of almost like idiot savant genius at predicting the market and where it's going and he's got a wife and the wife becomes unwell and she goes into a sanatorium in Europe to try to help with her issues mm -hmm. and she ends up dying. That's basically, I'm not giving anything away, that's the gist of, of the novel. Mm -hmm. Then the next part of the book moves into a real-life person who is furious about this novel that has been written about his life that some writer claims is fiction but it's actually him right. and it's his diary of his account of what actually kind of occurred. Mm. And then it shifts perspective again and it's written by this woman called Ida Partenza mm. and she's a woman who went to work for this man whose name's Andrew Bevel and this is now her take oh on what she believes right. happened with the Bevels. Right. So it's pretty much the same story but told from multiple perspectives. And so it's I guess it's a meditation on the idea of like unreliable narrators, right, and, and what's mm. true and what's not true, hence why it's called um, trust. Trust, I'm assuming, is also a play on money 
kind of stuff. Oh, anyway, it's well spotted. It's very with your finance expertise. <laughs> it's very creative and very interesting and well written. And I am fi- and original, and I'm finding it very good. All right. Well, you have been busy <laughs> and concise. Are, are, are you winding yourself up? Am I now, <laughs> look, I, I just wanted to get the highbrow content oh, out of okay. the way before I can shift get, straight yeah. to the lowbrow. Okay, I, I watched a lot more TV than I read over summer, I've got to admit. My favourite thing that I watched was Welcome to Wrexham, which is oh, on Disney+. Plus. Okay, yep. Absolutely adored it. It's such it's it's the Thursday Murder Club television equivalent in that in that feel good sense where you love the company of these people. They have done the most marvelous job of this show. It's basically two Hollywood stars, Ryan Reynolds and, and the guy who gets derogatory in a derogatory sense referred to constantly as the other guy. His name's um, oh Rob. God, I can't even, Rob McElhenney. <laughs> McElhenney, can't even remember his name. Uh, they buy a football club in Wales uh, in a town called Wrexham. And Wrexham has been down on its luck for a long time. It's a working-class coal town and their football team has been in the bottom tier of the football league for ever and ever and ever. And these two guys believe that the town's got some potential, the football club's got a lot more potential, and we're going to inject some money and some energy into it and see if we can lift Wrexham into the next so league. So what is their connection to this joint? They just buy it. They buy the football club. But they're not from there. They're the owners. No, no, it's a bit like kind of a Ted Lasso style, but a real-life Ted Lasso style thing. So they're wow, not from okay. it. They don't have any connection. Rob clearly is more obsessed about sport and football. He's a massive Philadelphia Eagles well, that would fan. Help you, so he also imagine. follows footy, football in the US. Uh, but he needs movie star money, as he puts it. So he calls his mate Ryan Reynolds and fleeces him for cash to help them buy this club. And then the, over the course of two seasons, it follows not just um, – actually, very little is to do with Ryan, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. You, you see a bit of the behind the scenes of them trying to make it work financially. But mostly it profiles players, players' families, fans, people who work in the club, people mm. who've lived in the town for a long oh, time. Right. And every episode it'll, ex- it'll explore a different facet of the town. And then you've got the thread, of course, of how's the football team going over the two seasons. Oh, it's just absolutely addictive and delightful. It's wow. very, very well done, huge amount of heart um, and just fantastic. And it just makes you – I haven't yet done this, but I want to watch Deadpool now because I never have seen a single thing with Ryan Reynolds in it. And so is there much Ryan Reynolds in the film? I mean, presumably he's off making big budget movies to actually finance. I think the- if you're someone who works in television like us, you know how to cheat when you don't have a lot of availability with someone to make right. it look like you've got a reasonable amount a different of shirt on, Ryan. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're filming next week. <laughs> There's clearly interviews that are done with Rob and Ryan that are done in the United States. Right. They do, of course, become more and more addicted to the team and so they're flying over, coming to big games and things like that. So they are there quite a lot. They're pretty invested in it. And is there any division in the community about these two assholes just turning Initially, up? Initially saying- there's a bit of like suspicion because the town feels like oh we've been let down before people have said they'd look after the team and then they don't and da 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 and you're outsiders and all the rest of it but because you know the stadium's falling apart the team's been in the doldrums they actually the town very quickly is actually thrilled and very grateful that these guys have injected all this energy Mm. and then when they turn out to be lovely guys who are actually very um, genuinely their motivation is they want to lift up the town you know they're not trying to profit Mm. from the team they're trying to lift up the town get the team back on its feet and then presumably they're going to sell the team probably for a mozza but um, the town they are just heroes they eventually you know the town they are just the town adores them they are they are 
you know, they can do no wrong. And there's a, you know, there's a band that makes up a song about Wrexham that calls the Deadpool and, you know, and the other guy. And it's just, it's a lovely, lovely show. So you've finished watching the series. Two seasons. It's over. Yep. I have set up a Google alert for Wrexham (laughs) and Paul Mullen, who's their top player. (laughs) Oh, my God. I think it's... If you make me go there... (laughs) I want to go there. I know you want to go there. It's just pulsing off you. It's impossible to miss. I'm not going there with I you. I will. At some oh. point, you mark my words, Chatters, I will be posting something on our social media of me just in a Wrexham scarf at Wrexham Football tour Ground. Tour of Cardiff, I absolutely you know, will. beckons. Okay, so that was my favourite. Um, t- a quick shout-out to two other things that I really loved. Sex Education Series 4. I've always loved that show. It's another season of just absolutely fantastic television and I think that the it, – it is a show that does the most incredible modelling of self-acceptance, safe sex, consent, diversity, inclusion. Like it's fantastic show. Really, Plus really Gillian, great. Mature you know, show. Lots of face. Yeah. Gillian Anderson, she's so great. Strife, uh, which was on Binge. I loved that, yeah. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that as well. It's loosely based on Mia Friedman's memoir. Asha Ketty plays this woman who is setting up, it's set about a decade ago, setting up a kind of publishing slash online digital media company when everyone else is still in magazines and thinks it's a dumb idea and she's really interested in it and she is very driven and ambitious and extremely good at what she does Um, and she is, you know, struggles to kind of balance her life with her ambition for her work. And Asha Ketty does the most fantastic job of capturing, you know, all of that. It was great. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, you've talked about, like, the sort of journo side of it and what she's trying to do professionally. I actually also loved the fact that um, it's also a lot about her home life. Yeah. Um, and so the Asha Ketty, Mia kind of character is divorced and has two sort of annoyed with her kids that she's constantly embarrassing by, you know, writing blog posts about things, you know, you know a little bit too much information, etc. So it's a little bit about that, you know, um, explosion of people writing opinion and columns that go viral and blah, blah, blah. And um, who plays her ex? Matt Day. He's oh. fantastic. Matt Day. Seriously. Has, he's just been good in every single thing he's ever done. He's just great. Yeah. And I think obviously this is based a bit, you know, on Mia Friedman's memoir, which I think has been republished along yeah. with the um Although series. she's not divorced and she has three kids. Exactly. So, so it takes liberties. So, yeah, exactly. So there are definite plot differences but – the best thing as I was watching it and I was at that point pre-Christmas trying to run around, organising things, failing. I mean, I've got presents that I still haven't sent out from, I mean, and watching that character just screw up again and again and again domestically was just <laughs> so reassuring to me. I really enjoyed it. But um, but then I also thought... Um, you know, Mia would have had to, like, walk her husband through, you know, look, this is – people will think that this happened to us. But on the other hand, you are being played by a very hot and <laughs> great actor. And that, I reckon, would be, I mean, a serious win. <laughs> the other thing that was great was I loved the dynamic, actually, between the Matt Day character and the Asha Ketty character in that – her name's Evelyn in the show – in that um, he – 
they're divorced, but they still get on pretty well. Yeah. And he understands her and understands that just because she's a bit shambolic and that she's kind of not going to be reliable to pick up the kids doesn't mean she doesn't love them. He, he gets it. He's still, yeah. even though they're split, he's kind of supportive of her. Yeah, I, I like that too. I think it's one of the things about the series that I enjoyed the most is that it's really well written. Yeah. Um, the dialogue is terrific and you don't get that thing sometimes that you get where you can tell an actor's a bit embarrassed about having to say this line. You don't feel tense for the actors because they're great cast and really good writing, well-paced and what you glimpse, as you say, from their relationship is the same thing that you see in any of your friends that have split and worked really hard at... Um, still retaining the parts about their friendship that, you know, yeah. made the relationship work for a long time. And I think, yeah, it's it's almost like it's a bit educational in that sense. They've done that well because mm. obviously mm. if there was no tension then you wouldn't be split. So, so capturing on film I think that um, balance between – we can get on and we still respect and love each other to a degree, but you can really piss me off. Like mm. that, that is a very good, they, they've captured that, I think, incredibly well. Did I tell you, I mean, I'm pretty sure I talked to you about this because I watched like heaps of the seasons of it um, really fast. Um, that series called Divorce with oh, Sarah yeah. and Jessica Parker. Yeah, yeah, I watched that, that too, yeah. That captures... Like yeah, a lot of that sort of energy. Yeah, yeah that mm. was good. Um, okay, the two other things that I watched that I'll quickly rattle through before we run out of time is um, Boy Swallows Universe. Right, I was going to ask if you yeah. watched that because I haven't yet because I'm waiting to, for my teenager who was completely obsessed with the novel to be available to yeah. watch it with me. I want to watch it with them. So my kids watched it with me. They're 12 and 10. Oh, they okay. they found it's a bit adult, some, but, but they really pretty, loved it. Yeah. yeah, there was a, there was one <coughs> scene in particular that um, one of my kids found hard to take. Um, but they absolutely loved it. They right. really really enjoyed it. Yeah, okay. they found it a very compelling story. They had lots of questions. They're desperate to meet Trent Dalton. They wanted to know was Slim Halliday a real person and yeah. all of the rest of it. Um, so it is if you liked Boy Swallows Universe as did, as did the hundreds of thousands of people who bought a copy of it, making it one of the most successful fiction books in Australian history, you will love this adaptation. It is an excellent adaptation of the book and uh, it's written by John Colley, who's a wonderful um, Australian screenwriter, and it's the, it's cast really well. Um, everyone in it is fantastic. Particular shout-out to Simon Baker, who is absolutely fantastic. Oh, I've people, a few people say that. Yeah. He's, he, he plays Eli's father. He, he just he strikes this beautiful balance between um, tragedy but also funny. He, he has some really mm. great comic moments as well. Um but the ki- the standout star is the kid who plays Eli. His yeah. name's Felix Cameron. Oh my god, he is he's heartbreaking. He's so good. My friend that I was watching it with, we were saying, because um, the character in the book cries all the time. This mm. little boy, he's a crier, mm. and so this kid has to cry a lot. You can feel that kid's distress when he cries. He's he's the most authentic little crier, and, and it's just he embodies the character so well. Mm. He's just. The most adorable child. I think he's a huge star. Um, so yeah, I I um I I just loved him. And so yeah, that was really really well done. And of course, growing up in Brisbane, yeah, it's very eighties nostalgic. Yeah, you know, very anyone familiar with Brisbane would be like, yeah. oh god, like you know. And the time you spent in prison, like uh, absolutely, yeah. Have... My parents being um, drug dealers. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it interesting? Like I 
that's the most common. I mean, this thing's going crazy. Everybody around the world's watching it. But um, the most common feedback that I've heard is that the children they got completely right. Like, the children, are and wonderful. I guess with casting, yeah, it either oh. either you get someone miraculous or someone who kind of they, can it was, do it. It's almost miraculous. Yeah. Like and the, and the older brother too, Gus. Like the chemistry with the two actors and how they do it. That it's just fantastic. And with the mother, with Brian Brown, like it's just it's very 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 well done. So don't if you loved the book, don't be scared. Like oh they butchered it. No, they've done a very very good job of it. The other thing that I watched, it's my second attempt to watch it, is Ozark. Now, I was thinking of it before when you were talking about um, women and ageing and stuff like that. So Jason Bateman is the lead in this show, plays Marty Bird is the character's name. Jason Bateman, it must be a Bateman family thing because he looks quite a lot like his sister Justine Bateman and Justine Bateman's been out talking quite a lot about the unfair beauty standards on on people mm. and, and both Justine and Jason Bateman have a somewhat kind of craggy face. Like they're both very good looking but they yeah. have a cragginess to their mm. faces. That's obviously been massively problematic for Justine Bateman but it's worked incredibly well for Jason Bateman and so that kind of was something I was thinking about a bit watching it. Now it's... I've finished two seasons of it, but I'm not entirely sold that I'm going to watch on. So, it What's the first season about it because I loved it. Oh, did you? Did you watch the whole lot of it? Mm-hmm. I didn't know you'd watched it. Okay, um, we've probably talked about it before, but I've forgotten. No, we haven't. I don't think. Um, okay, I feel a bit like it's a poor man's Breaking Bad. So it's harsh. I think. It's about a man who's desperate, who's kind of on the edge in this. And again, I'm not saying anything that's a spoiler. This is established in episode one um, that they're drug dealers. His whole family has been included. You know, Jason Bateman is Walter White. Um, Julia Garner, who plays a character called Ruth, is basically Jesse Pinkman. Like it's just the parallel. It's like they went, we need like another Breaking Bad to come along. So it feels quite derivative to me, but not as good as Breaking Bad. Um, so Breaking Bad came out in 2008. This came out in 2017. I feel like I, t- I mean, maybe this comes after season two, but I feel like I need more backstory. There's one episode I've seen where they give some backstory about Marty and Wendy and <coughs> how they kind of got into this mess. And Wendy is played by Laura Linney, who's, who's great. Yep. Um, I feel like I don't really have a grip on Marty Bird and Wendy and why they went so deep into this so kind of seemingly easily. So that puzzles me a bit. I don't feel like I've got a good grip on Marty Bird. The person in this show who I think is absolutely brilliant is Julia Garner who plays Ruth, who we she was in The Americans. <gasps> I would watch anything with her in it. She, you cannot take your eyes off her. She just chews things up. Like she is such a compelling presence on screen. She's absolutely extraordinary. I've got something that you need to watch then and I watched it just the other day. Um, It's a movie called The Assistant. Okay. And um, it is such an unusual movie. It stars Jennifer... um, Julia Garner. Julia Garner. And it was made... I think around about the time of the Me Too and, you know, exactly what a monster Weinstein was, whatever. And she is on screen 90% of the time. She has got a low-level assistant job in the office of a movie mogul and most of the film is basically a camera on her making phone calls, changing flights, 
taking enraged phone calls from the mogul's wife, mm. working out what she can say to the wife about where the mogul is and dealing with the other people around this mogul. And she is always in the office and that is where almost all the film is shot. And you never see the mogul. Oh, fantastic. It that is sounds great. Hallucinogenic almost in its sort of quietness and the observation. And you get this sense of how unbelievably strange this whole organisation is because you see all the other minions defaulting to each other, trying to think, you know, what this guy's going to want. You meet the driver who's been waiting there for hours and hours, doesn't know, like, you meet, like, the guy who has to have the plane ready like it's oh that sounds really good it's really great and interesting um now something that I actually put into the chat 10 Facebook group to get people's theories on was um Marty Bird's phone rings like 15 million times every episode Mm. with you know the drug cartel or the Snells or whatever his ringtone is crickets and this (laughs) because you hear it so often it's, it really stuck in my head because I'm like, why would Marty Bird have crickets as his ringtone? Because he seems like such a kind of type A straight-laced personality who's somehow accidentally found himself a drug dealer. I felt like he'd have like classic ringtone, like just phone ringing <laughs> ringtone. Anyway, so I thought, but this has to be a deliberate choice because you hear the phone ringtone so often. They can't, it can't be an accident that it was crickets in episode one and then they were just like, oh, well, I guess we're stuck with crickets. Anyway, I asked <laughs> if other people had any thoughts about this because I honestly couldn't come up with a single reason and I just loved the way people come up with stuff. So somebody said... My ringtone theory, the thing about Marty Bird and his a his type A style is this. I've noticed that people like this will sometimes deviate from their own norm and do something quirky, just one odd thing, probably to show that they're not so straight-laced. And screenwriters for a show like this will want to not stereotype a character. They'll want them to be multi-layered. And so I find this kind of quite believable. And then somebody else said... Crickets is still a classic ringtone. If you look at your phone, it's in the classics list of ringtones. But it's not a ring. It's more understated and backgroundy, which suited him in my mind. And then another person said, my friend who's a photographer has this ringtone and she says it's so if she's forgotten to turn it to silent, it's just crickets. <laughs> Isn't that clever? I didn't think about that once <laughs> through series and series and series. I apologise now to anyone funny. if you're going to watch Ozark because – that's all you'll hear, hear now is the crickets ringtone. It's remember, all I hear it all the time. Remember in the early days when you could like first establish new ringtones, different. Yeah. And there was always some dickhead in the office who would have like some terrible like. Or no, no, a chumbawamba or oh, some yeah. sort of like you know. Yeah. And that was phased out because evolution. Those people would never survive. They would be beaten to death by their office mates <laughs> sooner or later. Uh, now, before yeah. we go, Ooh. we have got something coming up that I am so looking forward to, which is a series of shows with the Australian Chamber Orchestra in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne, 8th, 9th and 12th of April. And it's basically us and them doing a show together and it came about because we did something with Richard Tonietti and his wife Satu Vanska yeah we did something in our Sydney show sat outside their house begging for this for (laughs) months and eventually they just wanted us to go away so 
If you are in Sydney and Brisbane, these are our only Sydney and Brisbane shows this year. So you, if you want to see us live, those are the shows to come to. So Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, if you look at our website or their website, all the details are there. I've got it's, the dates though, I wrote them down. I just said them before, 8th, 9th and 12th of April. It's uh, going to be really, really fun. Um, because it's they, basically the TikTok of how, I mean, you'll hear some incredible music played different ways with the musicians explaining how they do this and that, which old nerdy brain here is very excited about. But also, you know, what what are the politics inside an orchestra? I mean, this one doesn't have tuba players, so that'll be fine, but like... Yep. There's also some hilarious stories from behind the scenes that I'll save till the actual show about my requests for certain things (gasps) that I want. (laughs) Mariah Carey... (laughs) Springs to mind. I will. I will save those tales um, for the show, and uh, I'll see you here in a couple of weeks. You sure will. By which stage, I will have toweled myself down. <laughs> it's actually a thirty-five it degree day outside it as well. Is. So it's, yeah, it's, all right. It's anyway, very warm. Off you go then. See you later. Off you go. <laughs>